with your Bibles, turn to the book of 1 John as we continue there tonight. And if you remember, John started his uh, epistle with a refutation of the false teachings of the Gnostics. And he did so not by specifically saying what the Gnostics believed and taught, but by laying out the truth and letting the truth about Jesus Christ prove their teachings and beliefs to be wrong. Okay, they, they say Jesus was not God and was not really a man. John says Jesus was. He was with the Father. and he, he was made manifest to us. And John had something they didn't have. He was there. Okay, John, John was there. He heard him, saw him, touched him. And uh, all during the time that Jesus walked the earth. He made it clear that that true fellowship was first with the Father and the Son and then with each other, meaning that those who truly have fellowship with God are automatically in fellowship with others who are in fellowship with the Father and the Son. It's a package deal. Uh, We discussed the beliefs of the Gnostics, that the body is evil and the spirit is good, Um, therefore Jesus could not have had an actual body. Um, that would have made him evil, uh, is, is their way of thinking. And also, since spirit is good, uh, sin in the body didn't matter. Um, live however you want. And some were, were harsh to the body, going to one extreme, trying to punish the, the evil flesh. Uh, and then others went to the other extreme and lived in licentiousness, living, living any way they wanted. And and then last week, we, John made a, a grand statement about the holiness of God. So we spent some time talking about the holiness of God. And he said about God, the, this grand statement, which is, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Meaning God is completely set apart from all of creation. He, he, uh, by, by his complete and utter lack of sin or falsehood or any form of evil at all, or darkness, as he's describing it. And John used this metaphor because these are two things that are absolutely, they cannot dwell together, darkness and light, okay? Uh, They can't be mixed and are opposed to one another. Not only is God completely light in every way, but he has absolutely no darkness in him at all. Okay, John covers it on both sides, the positive and the negative. Uh, He's all light, no darkness at all. He's completely holy, pure, set apart, unmixed with evil to any degree. To be otherwise would go against the character of God, go against the essence of God. He said it was um, the message about God from Jesus himself. Okay, This message of the darkness and the light and, and how God is light was a message from Jesus himself spoken to John, spoken to the others as well. Uh, and that message, the message of the holiness of God, of his complete separateness from creation, um, sets up the next words that John writes, uh, because there, of course, are people claiming fellowship with this holy God, while trying at the same time to mix in what cannot share space with God. They're making a claim about a relationship that they don't have. And the, the light of the truth about God exposes the darkness of the lie that you can mix sin with perfect righteousness. Okay, that is what we'll discuss tonight in, in more detail. 
And let's, let's read the passage of Scripture where we'll be tonight uh, first, and then we'll pray after that. Uh, and I'm going to be kind of ambitious tonight. We're going to try to finish chapter 1, okay? That's five whole verses. I know, Matt, I can see you don't believe me, but we're going to give it our best shot, okay? <laughs> so 1 John chapter 1, um, tonight our passage will be in verse 6 through the end of the chapter, through verse 10. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's pray tonight. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to be here tonight, for all those that are here, for those that are, are watching online. Um, we're grateful, Lord, for your word that is effective in our lives. I pray, Father, that you would use your word tonight as it's read and as we discuss it uh, to, to impact our lives, to draw us closer to you, to teach us new things. Uh, Lord, not that there are new teachings, but Lord, we don't always have a full understanding of who you are, and we never will in our lives. Our lives will be full of knowing you more and more and more, and what a gracious gift that is. We praise you for it. And so, Lord, we come tonight and asking you to teach us through your Holy Spirit, and, um, and may this time that we have here tonight bring honor and glory to you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so John, tonight as we'll look in this passage here, John goes after three kinds of people or three groups of people in this passage of Scripture. And he identifies each group by saying, uh, if we say, okay, we'll see that three times here in this passage uh, in, in relation to these groups. And a couple times we'll see a sort of a, a counterpoint to that. But he, this is how he identifies these groups, if we say, and this statement that's attached to them. Um, and I, so I want to explain first then what is, what is meant each time he says this statement, if, if, I, if we say. And so, you know, sometimes when we, uh, we want to cause someone to think something through, we sort of set up a, a hypothetical situation um, by saying something like, let's say this or that. Okay, I'm going to set this up for you. Let's say this happens or that happens. And then you ask them to explain how they, would, how they would handle that. So you set up something that isn't happened yet or isn't going to happen, but you want to see where their thought process is. And so we do that sometimes. Um, and, and that's what John is sort of doing here. When he says, if we say, it's like saying, suppose this or that. Okay? In fact, the Greek root for the word that he used there means suppose. Okay? So that's what he's setting up. Suppose we say. Okay, so when we look at these things tonight, I want you to keep that in mind each time we each time we hear that. Um, and <clears throat> when he uses the word "we," it is a way of saying a person. Uh, like if a person says, or suppose a person says this or that. Um, 
The sad thing here is that these are not really hypotheticals. Okay? He's not, these aren't hypothetical situations. There are people saying these things and doing the things here that, that uh, he brings up. So he's warning the church about this deception. Okay, so well, there's, there's, there's three groups. Okay? The first group, John identifies, he, uh, they claim to have fellowship with God while acting as if they're not sinning. Okay, they're, they're trying to keep their sin and have fellowship with God. Okay, so, but based on John's grand statement that we talked about earlier, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all, based on that statement, why is this impossible that this group would claim this? That they can have their sin and be in fellowship with God. Why is that impossible? God doesn't sin, yeah? And, and based on what John said, God is light, in Him is no darkness at all, period. So there is no mixing. You can't, it can't be a true statement. It's an impossible thing for them to make this statement, okay? Sin is darkness, and there's no darkness in God at all. And the second group John identifies says they have no sin, meaning they're not sinning currently. And then the third group not only says they're not sinning currently, but that they have never sinned, okay? Special group. So let's look at the first group uh, as we read verse 6 again, okay? 1 John 1, 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Okay, now remember, uh, John has just proclaimed the holiness of God and now addresses the claims of fellowship with that holy God. Uh, the fellowship being talked about here is, is salvation. Okay? The fellowship that we have with the Father that we did not have prior to the new birth in Christ. The fellowship with the Father and the Son that John mentioned in verse 3. You either have this or you don't. There's uh, no different levels of salvation. Okay, then he describes these people as walking in darkness. What does that mean, to walk in darkness? Somebody have a way of explaining that? What was that? Walk in sin? Okay, yeah. What, what is the idea of walking? Let's express that a little more. Okay, your life. That's the point of walking. So when we see that in the Bible, it's talking about our day-to-day -day living, our pattern of living. Okay, so um, it, it's, a, it's an ongoing pattern. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yes, it's not an accident. It's a, it's a purposeful walk. That is true. That's a, it's a pattern of life ongoing, and it's... In terms of this, walking in darkness, it's a pattern of life ongoing in unrepentant sin, okay? It's their way of life. No thought toward change or pursuing Christ-likeness. It, it doesn't even cross their mind. So if, if God is holy, if God is everything good and right and true with not a speck of corruption forever past and forever future, he's unchanging, then John's basically saying, let me caution you about saying you have fellowship with him okay? in light of who we are as sinners. That's a, a dangerous statement. Um, those things uh, don't mix. Um, when I, probably 20 years ago or so, um, working for the sheriff's department, 
um, my, the guy that was my training officer was training a new, a new person, and they had to do a shift down in Happy Camp. I don't know if any of you have ever been, been down to Happy Camp, but there's not a whole lot in Happy Camp. And I don't even know if there's any more now than there was 20 years ago, but, um, but we, we laugh about this story, and we joke about this because this new deputy was getting in the car with the training officer, and they're going to head down to Happy Camp for a shift, and the training officer says, well, where's your lunch? And he says, well, I'm just going to grab some McDonald's down there. Okay. <laughs> so the trainer didn't say anything like, hey, there's no McDonald's down there, but, you know, just let it, let it go. <laughs> okay. He made a confident statement. I'm going to grab lunch at McDonald's when I'm down there. And he had no knowledge about the true nature of Happy Camp. There's no McDonald's in Happy Camp. Okay. Absolutely no McDonald's. And these people are kind of doing the same thing. They're, they're making an impossible statement because they don't understand the true nature of God. If they understood the true nature of God, they would realize, I can't say I have fellowship with him while I'm walking in darkness. Okay? It's, a, it's an impossible thing, just like there's no McDonald's in Happy Camp at all. So there's no darkness in God at all. It's impossible. Um, and that's why Paul asks this rhetorical question in 2 Corinthians 6.14, what fellowship has light with darkness? What's the answer to that rhetorical question? What fellowship is there? None. Yeah, it's not even, we don't even have to think about it. There's none. Now, some understand this passage in 1 John to be, to be referring to uh, a hindered fellowship between God and believers. Okay, but, but that's not the case here. Um, that doesn't mean it isn't true that believers' fellowship with God is sometimes hindered. We know that our fellowship with God can be, can be hindered um, by sin, but that does not change our salvation. If somebody is truly saved, uh, they may have a, a, a strained relationship or a hindered relationship with God for a time, but they don't lose their salvation. We have trials and suffering and sin in our lives that God uses to actually test, test us to test the genuineness of our faith. And Peter talked about our salvation being kept for us in heaven. You guys have read the passage in 1 Peter. It's kept for us in heaven. It is secure. It's kept by God. Okay. Then he goes on and says this in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this, the knowledge of that, that salvation is kept, in this you rejoice, though, for, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There is a testing of our faith. So that brings up another question. It's kind of off the topic a little bit, but in regards to that passage, is the test of faith so God will know we're his? What do you think about that? Is the test of faith so that God will know that we're His? Okay, strengthens us. Right. God, God knows who are His. He's always known who are His. The test that we go through, the trials we go through, they are for us. They are to prove, and which a lot of this letter that, that John wrote here is, is the same thing. It's to prove to the believer that he is in fellowship with God, truly. Um, so this is for the believer to have assurance. God's not up there going, I wonder if they're mine. He knows, okay? There's no, there's no question there. We need this. We need our faith to be tested throughout our lives. 
And God knows what we need, and he knows how much we can handle. The whole point here is that John is laying out a test for people to know if they're truly saved, just like using the complete opposite of the opposites of light and darkness. He's after the, the hard line between saved and unsaved. He also wants those hearing this then to examine themselves based on the proofs that he's, he's laying out for them, and there's many more of them in this letter. Uh, people can test the genuineness of their faith based on the, the truth statements that are in here. So those who believe they can continue walking in sin and claim they have fellowship with God, John calls them what? What was that? Liar. They're liars. And more than just liars to each other, it's not, not just that I'm lying to someone else about my fellowship. This is a self-deception. Okay, they're, they're deceiving themselves. It's a lie that keeps a person in their sins and, and not forgiven. Okay? He says they don't practice the truth, meaning they, they practice the lie that they have believed. And then he turns the tables and gives the opposite test results. We look at verse 7, okay? Verse uh, 7 of John 1. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Okay, here again, uh, we see him using the word walk. Okay, we just talked about that a little bit ago. And, and this time, though, in regard to the correct pattern of life, which he says is that of uh, the one walking or living in according to the truth of God, okay, in the light. Again, fellowship here is talking about salvation. Those who are walking in the light are the ones who are saved. They have true fellowship with one another. Now, he doesn't mention fellowship with the Father here. He, he says with one another. And the fellowship with the Father is assumed here because of how he ends the verse. If you look at it, he doesn't, he doesn't just leave it at fellowship with one another. And look how he brings the work of the cross into this proof. He says, you don't, uh, you, know, you don't say to people that the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin unless they are indeed born again. Okay? Because only believers have benefited from that cleansing, bringing them into fellowship with the Father. And the term blood of Jesus. We see that, the term blood and blood of Jesus in the scriptures, and it's used uh, um, not just to say that, that he bled, okay, which he did, but to describe the atoning work of Christ on the cross, okay, the, the atoning work of his, his death, all of it, not just that he bled. It's the word is used to encompass all of that, okay? Now, let's look at the second group of people who say they have no sin. 1 John 1.8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And the idea here is, if we say we're not sinners currently, okay, he brings this up because it's, uh, it's the belief and teaching of some, some of the people there, and, but it's a false teaching, it's a false belief. And as I've recently said in the sermon on Christ-likeness, nobody is or ever will be perfectly sinless on this earth during this lifetime, okay? We... Believer or unbeliever, nobody's going to be sinlessly perfect. It's not possible because we're all still living in this body, this body of death. Um, and it's just plain unbiblical and prideful to say that we're not sinning any longer. Um, in the Apostle Paul, we have arguably the best Christian who ever lived. Okay? 
Uh, and, and he wouldn't say that about himself, that he was sinlessly perfect. Um, and he says the opposite about himself, in fact. And it's something that we need to understand and, and sort of wrestle with. In Romans 7, 18 and 19, it says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. That's how Paul describes himself. I believe the closest we can get to making any kind of statement like that is to say, maybe I don't struggle with that sin anymore, okay? Perhaps God has delivered you from bondage to a particular sin in your life that, that has plagued you, um, and you don't fall to that sin any longer. And praise God for that. But be careful about pride, okay? Because sin is looking for you. You know, look at what, what God said to Cain when his offering was not accepted by God, and, and Cain was angry in Genesis 4-7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And what did Cain do next? He killed his brother, right? He killed his brother because his brother's offering was acceptable to God. Sin was crouching at the door. And we need to be aware that we could fall to sin at any time. Uh, and and if, even if we haven't struggled with a particular sin for a while, we need to be on guard, okay, for what could be crouching at the door we're, because we're still sinners. And Paul warned Christians about this in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. He said, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall, right? You think, just when you think you're standing strong, be careful, okay? So, question. What is, the dif- what is it that differentiates the sinning believer from the sinning unbeliever? What's that? Okay, so the, the unbelieving sinner is unrepentant, right? Believing sinners have repented. Right, yeah, unbelievers are, or believers hate their sin. They've come to a place of, that, that is not something they want. That's not a previous thought they had about it, but now as repentant believers, they have a hatred for what God hates. Um, and so and the, another thing that differentiates is sins having been forgiven. Believers' sins are forgiven, and unbelievers' sins are not forgiven. That's right. Salvation is solid. If, if Christians lost their salvation every time we sinned, we'd be lost every day. We'd have to be resaved, reborn again every day, probably multiple times every day. Uh, though, and another difference, though still sinning, you're no longer a slave to that sin. Okay? We become slaves to righteousness. And now we actually have the desire and ability through the Holy Spirit to fight against it. And we never had that desire before, that is not something that um, unregenerate people have. They don't have a desire uh, to be righteous. And don't forget that Christians have an advocate when they do sin. The sinning unbeliever doesn't have an advocate. 
the believer does. And in the, in the next chapter, the first verse of the next chapter says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And here, John, here John is talking about believers. He calls them little children here. And he indicates he's, uh, he's writing so that they may not sin. All these things that he's writing about, it's to remind us, sinning is bad, I don't want to sin. We need to guard against sin. And then he says, but if anyone does sin, okay, which, again, indicates even believers are going to struggle with sin. Okay, he's not saying, don't worry about it, believers. You're not going to sin. You don't have to worry about this. But he says, no, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Um, so he acknowledges that even believers still sin sometimes, but Christ is our advocate. What does that mean, that Christ is our advocate? What do you guys think? What was that? He's our lawyer? Okay. What was that? Yeah, Christ, he fights for us. Yeah. Absolutely. When, when we sin, when Satan stands before God to accuse us of sin, uh, Jesus himself steps in and claims, claims us as his, right? And, and that those sins are already paid for. I already paid for those sins. Okay, and then and look at the wonderful promise that John reminds the true believers of. Those who, are, those who are walking in the light, who have true fellowship with the Father and the Son, it is a promise of much comfort because we'll sin again. Okay, we'll sin again. We don't want to, but we will. Uh, and this sin, it hurts when we sin. It hurts. We feel it now. Prior to salvation, you don't feel it. You don't, it doesn't grieve us. And now... It grieves us because we know that it grieves the Heavenly Father. Um, and we know it is, and that's a gift of God too, this godly sorrow that would come when we sin. Because it leads us to do what? Repent, right? To repent, restore. Um, and, and here's the promise in the, in the next verse, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, this is a, a message now for believers right here. He purposely, purposely says uh, this to draw the hard line, again, between believers and unbelievers. And these who have said they have no sin, they don't confess anything. They're not confessing, they're denying. But believers do. And the word for confess here means to say the same thing. That is, to, to agree with God that you're a sinner and have sinned in that particular area that you're confessing. There's no excuse. There's no explanations. There's no justifications for your sin. It's just, I agree with you, Father, that this is sin, and I have done it. And who are we sinning against ultimately? God. And when we do so, look what God does. He does what He has said He would do. He forgives us our sins, and not only that, but He will also cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John says that, that this, what we just read there, John says it's just on God's part. This is a just action um, on God's part. That brings up another question. How can it be just for the judge to just forgive someone's crime? Again, it's already paid for, right? He, he isn't 
just forgiving without payment, that would be unjust, right? He already accepted payment from Christ, who satisfied the requirement of the law on our behalf. In Romans 8, 33 and 34, it says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. What, what a wonderful promise. Isn't that an encouraging promise? It, it absolutely is. It's the best gift anyone has ever given you. And it is a gift, right? It's not a right uh, or something that we've earned. To walk in the light means that you have confessed and sought forgiveness through repentance, and you've trusted in the work of Jesus Christ, the manifest Son of God on the cross. Okay? Now, third, third and final group who says they have, have not sinned. 1 John 1.10. That's our last verse. Okay? If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Okay, this group goes even further down the road regarding the denial of sin. Not only do they say they're not sinning currently, they say they have never sinned. Okay? When they lust, it's not called sin. It's a natural human impulse. And maybe you've heard some of these things. When, when they lie, it's, it's not sin because it's not hurting anyone. When they blaspheme the name of God, it's not sin because there is no God. When they kill babies in the womb, it isn't sin. It's women's reproductive health. Okay, we, we can do this all day long with calling things that are sin something else to, to justify it. It's a good example of saying something by saying something else. Right? John says by saying this, whether to others or uh, in your own thinking, you're making a statement about God. When you say this, you're saying something about God and what that is, is that you're saying God is a liar. God is a liar. If you say to someone you've not sinned, you condemn God as a liar. Why? Why does that make God a liar? He told us everyone has sinned, right? And you, you said it. That's my next question. What is probably the most famous verse about this truth? Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay? But this fact is stated even more strongly, and sometimes we, I mean, we don't overlook it, but we don't always go there because we quote that verse. But the preceding verses in there, if you want to turn to Romans chapter 3, we'll look at those, but there's verses that precede that famous verse that talk about this fact of um, everyone being sinners. So let's look at Romans chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 10. Romans 3.10, and we'll go through verse 18. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. 
There is no fear of God before their eyes. Could there be a clearer statement than that about the sinfulness of man? Beyond just a strong statement, it's, it's an indictment with specific charges leveled against humanity so that none of us can escape this. That language is very strong. So when someone says they have never sinned, they're saying all of that is untrue and that the one who said it is a liar. And John ends by saying that those who say this, they do not have the Word of God in them. The Word of God is truth, and you cannot claim to have the truth and call God a liar. Claim all you want that you have fellowship with God, but you don't. The truth is not in you. And John makes this clearer near the end of this, uh, this letter in, in 1 John 5, 10 and 11. He says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. And the testimony of God is, uh, is in those who believe. But the unbelievers do not believe the testimony concerning his son, so it is not in them. So then all the people need to ask what, what that testimony is. What is the testimony? And John answers that in verse 11. And this, I'm sorry, yeah, verse 11 of that um, passage we just read. And this is the testimony. Okay? It is that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. That's the testimony. And those outside of the fellowship of salvation make God a liar because they deny being sinners. But the believer says and does something different. The believer agrees with God, like Paul, 1 Timothy 1.15, who said, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. That's what believers do. That's what people walking in the light do. We don't look to somebody else to say they're the foremost we look at ourselves, and we know and, and recognize that we are the foremost of sinners. We confess that. And the believer responds to that as David did in Psalm 32.5. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's what, that's what believers do. So we see in this first chapter the reality of the person and work of Jesus Christ made manifest. We see the holiness of God, and we also see some of uh, what the difference is between those who are in the light and those who are in darkness, walking in the light, walking in darkness, our daily living. We see the differences there. Those who are truly believers and those who remain lost in their sins. That's the differentiation that, that John is making here. It's, and there's a hard line. There's no mixing of sin and righteousness, light or darkness. And we must remember that when we're pressured in this life to embrace what God says is darkness, let's remember this, that there's, they don't mix. You cannot mix light and darkness, right? Um, and this chapter, as well as the rest of the letter, is, is a comfort to the believer. It really is a comfort to the believer, and it's fear 
for the unbeliever. So as, as believers, when you read through this, through this letter, be encouraged. You know, look at it in, in uh, fear of God, in terms of awe and, and uh, um, a reverence for God. But look at it as, at all the grace that has come out of this for, for believers. And at the statements that are made in there about God and his, his kindness towards us. This should be an encouragement. This letter should be an encouragement to all of us as believers. And then when we talk to unbelievers, this should sort of drive our conversation with unbelievers. When we know the severity of this, um, it should cause us to have a, a compassion for unbelievers who we used to be one, right? But by the grace of God. So let's end there for tonight. We finished chapter one. I told you, Matt, we should do it. All right. Let's, let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this night. And thank you for these words from John. And uh, I pray, Father, that they, they ring true in our, in our ears, in our hearts, that we as believers, Lord, would be encouraged by this. Lord, that we would continue to, to be hurt over our sin, that we would remember your promises. If we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What an amazing promise, Lord. Something that we did not earn and could never earn, but you freely give because of the work of your Son on the cross. Lord, that you declare us righteous when we are in Christ because of his righteousness. What an amazing gift. We praise you for it and thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.